me say hello to the Brentwood campus as we are now on to our third message of growing up on the journey with Jesus. And today we are looking at the journey to a life of guidance. There's a story about an old man who lived in a small village. He was the poorest man in the village, but he owned the most beautiful white stallion. And the king offered him a small fortune for it. And after a terribly harsh winter, during which the old man and his family nearly starved, the townspeople came to visit. Old man, they said, you can hardly afford to feed your family. Sell the stallion and you will be rich. If you do not, you are a fool. It's too early to tell, replied the old man. And a few months later, the old man woke up to find that the white stallion had run away. And once again, the townspeople came and they said to the old man, See, if you had sold the king your horse, you would be rich. Now you have nothing. You are a fool. It's too early to tell, replied the old man. Two weeks later, the white stallion returned. And along with it came three other white stallions. Old man, the townspeople said, we are the fools. Now you can sell the stallion to the king and you'll still have three stallions left. You are smart. It's too early to tell, said the old man. The following week, the old man's son, his only son, was breaking in one of the stallions and was thrown, crushing both of his legs. The townspeople paid a visit to the old man and they said, Old man, if you had just sold the stallion to the king, you'd be rich and your son would not be crippled. You are a fool. It is too early to tell, said the old man. Well, the next month, the war broke out with a neighboring village, and all the young men of the village were sent into the battle, and all the young men were killed in that battle. And the townspeople came, and they cried to the old man, We have lost our sons. You're the only one who has not. If you had sold your stallion to the king, your son too would be dead. You are so smart. It's too early to tell, said the old man. You know, this story reminds us of the unpredictability the uncertainty, the twists and turns that life presents to us all. And a question then that sits behind this this reality of what we call life with all of its uncertainties is how do we make our way through it? How do we find guidance? Well, today I want us to look at sort of a stair step of where our soul needs to find guidance in life. And let's begin with the first step what we call the fool factor. You know, there are those who simply base their decisions on what they desire. Now, the tricky thing about desires is that some are good and healthy, while others are based on the sinful bent of our hearts. I mean, in the last 30 hours, some young people in this church realized that you can have a healthy desire for food. And right now they're thinking about food. They're looking at those chips that are in front of them right now. I don't know why they're doing that, but anyway, that's up to them. I think they're getting ready. They're counting down, 13 minutes, and I'm, I'm watching you. But there are healthy desires. Um, but there's also unhealthy desires. And, and what happens is, is if that the only guiding principle in our life is that we'll say, I'll do what feels good. I'll do what I desire. That will be what marks my choices in life. If it makes me happy, then that's where I'm going to pursue. I mean, let's eat, drink, and be merry. 
But when we choose to only base our decisions in life based on what we think is right, the Bible has a very harsh and clear statement about who we are. And it says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. And in fact, it says in Acts 14, 16, in the past, God permitted all nations to go their own ways. You know, in his book, Predictably Irrational, researcher Dan O'Reilly claims that most of us are masters at deceiving ourselves and justifying our actions. In particular, we often make our decisions based on not what is right, but based on what we want. Now, O'Reilly tells his own story buying a car. He says, when I turned 30, he writes, I decided it was time to trade in my motorcycle for a car, but I could not decide which car was right for me. Well, the web was just taking off at the time, and to my delight, I found this website that provided advice on purchasing cars. So Professor O'Reilly describes how he answered all the questions on the website, and when he looked at the result, which car did this website recommend for him, guess which car it was? A Ford Taurus. Now, this is a guy who just got rid of his motorcycle. And, he, and, and O'Reilly describes his reaction in this way. He says, the problem was, having just surrendered my motorcycle, I couldn't see myself driving some sedate sedan. I was now facing a dilemma. I had tried a deliberative and thoughtful process for my car selection, and I did not like the answer that I got. So guess what I did? I did what anyone else would do in my position. I hit the back button a few times, backtracked to the earlier stages of the interview process, and changed many of my original answers to what I convinced myself was more accurate and appropriate responses. And I kept this up. I had to do it a few times, he said. I kept this up until, shock of all shocks, this car advertising website suggested a Mazda Miata. Or Miata. All right? Nice little sports car. And the moment the program was kind enough to recommend a small convertible, I felt grateful for the fantastic software and decided to follow its very wise advice. Now, now commenting on what he learned, Professor O'Reilly says, the experience taught me that sometimes we want our decisions to have this rational veneer when in fact they stem from what we crave deep down inside. But all I would say is this, if you're living your life on that first step, that's where you reside most of the time. To live life based simply on what we want is to miss out on what God wants in our lives. The Bible says it plainly, this is the foolish way. It's not good for our souls to stay at this place for guidance. Okay? We need to move on. So let's move up to stair step two. Um... You know, this is called the Google grab. Now, now Google, right, is the place now in our digital internet connected wired world, however you want to say that, that lets us with a few taps of a button tap into the wealth of human wisdom and knowledge. Like for years, I never knew how to fix a leaky faucet. But you know what I did? My, our faucets were leaking a little while ago. And I said, honey, I can take care of that. She said, you can you. I said, not a problem. So she went out. I Googled fixing leaky faucets. And up on the YouTube screen came like, like there are people that tape themselves fixing leaky faucets. And they all explain it. They lay it all out. Do this, do this, pull this out, do this. You know, the whole nine yards. So, so this is good. Now, again, here's the thing. 
You see, every one of these steps, there's a good part and there's a shadow part to it or a dangerous part to it. Just as there are healthy desires, there are bad desires. Just as, as with collective human wisdom, there's a lot of good things to learn from people in life. And it doesn't have to even come from Christians. You know, I, I, I like the fact that um, Ryan Knowles is my, my Christian mechanic, okay? But here's the thing. I don't go and get my car fixed because I think Ryan's going to pray over the hood of the car. I go because I hope he understands something about valves and brakes and cylinders. If he prays, that's bonus, okay? It's important that he understands about cylinders and valves and brakes. That's really all I care about. See, and because, you see, all truth is God's truth. And, and, and at that point, it's good to be able to say, well, what does the collective wisdom say? Let, let's learn. Let's learn the best practices. And, and, and that's what we call the Google grab. But, but here's the danger, on the other hand, though, we can search the web and be given a variety of points of view on what is right and wrong. You know, how should we live out our sexuality? How should we live out, um, you know, our, with our money in a world of great need? You're going to, depending on what website you go to, some are just going to say, Hey, enjoy life, you know, hook up, spend, spend, home and garden, buy new furniture every other year. I mean, it all depends. You can go anywhere and get a variety of responses about what is right and wrong. And the challenge, I think, is that we can start to, to believe that the view with the most number of hits on Google is the best answer for life. And I want to say to you that sometimes God's way will not show up on the first page of your web search or even the thousands page of Google search. Living by collective wisdom will help us in some ways, but we will still miss out on letting God guide us. Our soul must have something more, which takes us to step three. You know, people who are often seeking to find their way through life will often find themselves saying, this is a good place to live. This is the best place. I live my life by principles. Now, the beauty about principles, and another description for principles is just to say timeless truths. You know, truths that have, sta have withstood the test of time. You know, these are truths that regardless of circumstances, regardless of emotions, this is the way we should live. And to live principally gives us anchor points in our lives, especially when storms come. I mean, we, we talk about commitment, right? There's the principle of commitment or the principle of trust. And we understand that, that, that sometimes we're really tempted to say, oh, no, it's time to, 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 to you know, unshackle myself from my commitments, especially when things are going bad. But wait a sec, we go, wait a sec, but what does the principle of commitment teach us? And that way it anchors us and helps us get through life. And often people who live principally live quite successfully. They really do. They, they live quite successfully. And in fact, I know when I, I listen to and talk to other people who are in leadership roles, whether in companies or, or other organizations, they will often talk about saying, here are the principles that I live by. You know, when we read the Bible... It is good also to look for principles. You know, often I would encourage you that when you're reading the Bible, you need to read that ancient Bible story and say, okay, what's the application? What's the truth that I need to apply to my life? Well, for example, um, when I read uh, the story about Daniel in the lion's den, what's the, what's the principle that I can learn from that story? 
Well, I, I, ultimately, I can learn that, that God is sovereign, that he's in control, that he can even close the, the, the lion's mouth. And, of course, I think of the core principles of the Bible. Go, go to the Ten Commandments. You know, take, you know have a Sabbath day. Um, don't steal. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's property. These are core principles of God. That he's saying, you got to live by that. You know, and so the, the thing about principles, and when we even let them see and see that they're rooted in Scripture, we can say to ourselves, you know, I don't need to sit here and go, now, should I steal that right now? Should I steal that money right now? You know, you go, I, I should not steal that, okay? Because that's a, that's a timeless truth by God. Now, now, there are principles to live by. And I would say that you are wise when you learn the principles from Scripture, and from life. But the danger is, again, our soul will not be satisfied in being guided through this life if we think all we need are principles. You see, one of the things I want you to understand is that if you live on these first three steps of guidance, you are really still living by sight. You're still just living by sight. You are basically making your decisions based on saying, well, I've seen these principles work. This is what Google tells me, and this is what I like. And guess what? As long as you live there, you're still in control of your life. You basically are saying, I'm going to try to figure it out. I'm going to be strategic. I'm going to be smart. And somehow I'm going to make it to that finish line, whatever that finish line is. But then I say to ourselves, though, but our soul was not even meant to live there. And that takes us to the final step. You know, it, it's called God's guidance. In, in Scripture, in Psalm 32, verse 8, there's this passage. And it's said in many other places, but, I, we, but we wanted to settle in on this verse. Listen to what it says. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. The Lord says, I will guide you. The Lord says. You know, as I, as I think about this whole thing of guidance, I come to the scriptures and realize that ultimately, at the end of the day, in my journey, in my faith in God, it comes down to me letting God guide my path. And that means that, that guidance then is as much about getting to know God as it is making the best decision. I think of that verb there that says, I will guide. And this verb tells me that guidance is more about God giving me discernment and direction than me having the ability to figure it out. I, 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 that's such an important sentence. I, I got to say it again. See, we often pride ourselves that we think we're so smart. That we, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're savvy, you know, we, we're educated. And again, those all have their places. But ultimately, if we're going to walk by faith and not by sight, there are going to come those moments where God is going to say, here's the path, Dave, I want you to take. And I want to say, but no one else is going that way. No one else is doing that. And he's saying, Dave, that is where I want you to go. And now it's beyond principles. It's now because of a personal relationship with God. God is guiding you. Listen to this promise he gives you. I will guide you. Not I will give you some principles and some smarts to get through life. He's saying, I will guide you. 
You know, I think of actress Lily Tomlin's line, why is it when we speak to God, we are said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we are called schizophrenic? (laughs) The Bible says that God is with us. You know, Jesus says, they will listen to my voice. And the Bible speaks of experiencing God in this way, that, that Jesus said, after I'm gone, after I'm gone, the, that through the Holy Spirit, God will lead us. You know, Jesus said it this way. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not be presenting his own ideas. He'll be telling you what he has heard. You know, Jesus himself wants to guide you through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is a dynamic, personal relationship. See, following Christ is more than just following some general rules or principles with a Christian mind. It's specifically looking to God to give you specific directions to accomplish his purposes in his ways. Paul writes this, no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And God has actually given us his spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. A spirit-guided life is a non-option for a Christian who's growing and walking closer to God. If you want to go on the journey of guidance, ultimately this is where you need to be living. This is where we all need to say, God, lead me. Now, now here's the thing. You're saying, well, and if you've been following along, and I will put these young people aside because they're so hungry, they probably have been listening for the last couple of minutes, but everyone else of you, everyone else of you, if you've been following along, you might say, okay, Dave, you're saying that God wants to walk with me and guide me, and he wants to interact with me and my spirit with his spirit. But how does that happen? Very good question. Brent Hudson next week is going to unpack that, all, all that dynamic. So you've got to come back for that, okay? He's going to talk about that guidance in that context, but how we really unpack that. But, but the question I want to finalize at this service and for those at, at the Brentwood campus is that how do we get, though, to this place of guidance? Because you notice here, these three are connected, but there's this big jump to this whole next level. And all I want to say is we move to this place when we enter into a relationship with God by being born again. This comes by faith, not by sight. Being born again means that we become spiritually alive and connected to God. God wants to guide us. How will we seek to open our eyes to his leading? What can we do to create greater openness to hearing from God? During the 30-hour famine this afternoon, we watched um, a movie about Mother Teresa and her work in Calcutta and how it how it spread from Calcutta to all around the world with her Sisters of Charity. It was very moving, though, that for 20 years, it said she lived in a convent, teaching children and basically living isolated from the poverty of Calcutta. And one day, she was on a bus, and for the first time, she, 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 she was looking out, and all of a sudden, the poverty started to sort of overwhelm her. And... And then she saw this, this man laying just with his arms sort of upstretched and he was just really, you know, dilapidated and, and you, could say, you could see he was in his very last moments. And, and she gets out of the bus and she goes over to this man and she's looking down, he's laying on this mat and he says to her, I thirst. 
Now, those of you who know your Bible know that in Matthew 25, Jesus says, and at the end, the Son of Man will come and will separate everyone into sheep and into goats. And the sheep will be on this side, the goats will be on this side, and then Jesus will say to the sheep, he'll say, you know, when I was hungry and when I was thirsty and when I was naked, you fed me, you gave me something to drink, you clothed me. Welcome into the kingdom of God. And, and, they, and the people say, Lord, when, when were you? When were you hungry? When were you thirsty? When, when were you naked? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And for Mother Teresa, if you've read her biography, she'll tell, she, she writes saying that when she looked into the eyes of the poor, she saw Jesus. Now, was that a principle? Well, in one way, I guess you could say, yeah, there's the, the principle of caring for the poor. But it was much deeper than that. In that poverty-stricken person at that moment, and those words were said to her, I thirst, she encountered God in a powerful way. She met Jesus in a powerful way. You can't script that. You can't put that in your calendar and say, you know, I'll do that next fall when I'm less busy. That God meets you. You encounter him. And, and needless to say, um, for those of us who grew up in the time of Mother Teresa, we know that she had a worldwide impact. But it all began because God was guiding her. Let me just finish off with, with um, one final point. Um, maybe you've read Wendell Berry's novel, Jaber Crow. He's the main character in Wendell Berry's novel. And, and, and Jaber Crow um, reflects on how God's guidance and providence often catches us by surprise. And I, I read this quote and I thought, oh, this fits so well with this whole thing that we're talking about today. This is what this character in the novel says. I can't look back from where I am now and feel that I've been very much in charge of my life. I've made plans enough, but I see now that I've never lived by plan. Nearly everything that has happened to me has happened by surprise. All the important things have happened that way. And whatever has been happening usually has happened before I had time to expect it. And so when I thought I was in my story or in charge of it, I really have only been on the edge of it, carried along. I wonder, is it because we are just in an eternal story that is happening only partly in this time. Wow. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. May it be our prayer. Lead me, Lord, and I will follow. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the close of this service, Lord, we don't want to just get through this life. We don't even want to get through this life smart. Lord, surprise us with your presence. Surprise us where we will see you guiding us. Give us courage. Give us faith. Give us love. And help us to walk, not by sight, but by faith in you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we come to the close of our service, I'm going to turn it now back over to Pastor Carolyn at the Brentwood campus.